Welcome folks and thank you for joining me on What's the Tease. Before we get to today's guest, I'd like to just take a moment to encourage you all to subscribe and leave me a review. Also, if you are enjoying this podcast, please do spread the word. I truly appreciate each and every one of you for your support and your listenership. She's currently living her best van life, making moves on the road and in the burlesque world. Please welcome to the What's the Tease stage, Bessie Snow. Welcome to the show, Bessie. Thank you so much, Pillow. Thank you for having me. Yay. I've been following your work for some time now. You've been very active in terms of discussions on social media. So it's been really great to kind of get to know a little bit more about you in that way. So I imagine you're no stranger to this platform is basically what I'm saying. Oh, in terms of dialogue. Yeah, I would say (laughs) I, I feel pretty comfortable in it, but still definitely on a learning curve on to in terms of how to figure out what's the best delivery sometimes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to jump right in here. Okay. Okay. I'd love to know yeah. where did your interest in the performing arts stem from and how did it lead to you seeking out the art of burlesque? For me, at least it started in the theater. I was a theater kid. I also grew up in Los Angeles. So Hollywood was always just in my life in terms of like having access to it in a lot of ways and like every LA kid I wanted to be an actor uh, which is so ironic because I was just incredibly shy as a kid and um, introverted but um, yeah I, I started off in the theater just doing you know school plays and musicals and I just always had a knack for wanting to be on the stage uh, yeah I, I kind of pursued acting after college a little bit but after that stint of pursuing it, I realized I just didn't have the hustle for it mm-hmm. <laughs> in the way that a lot of my other peers did. And I just didn't realize it was that important. And But creativity has always been a passion of mine. And there was definitely a lull of time from like acting to even some, you know, I'm not a formal trained dancer, but I grew up taking some dance classes and always dabbled in the arts. But anyway, there was a lull in figuring out how can I express myself creatively. Mm -hmm. They came out a lot of in my journalism work that I did kind of in my college years and whatnot. But uh, yeah, burlesque kind of came into my life actually after I was going through a divorce and Mm -hmm. I was trying to, uh, I think, reclaim my life and body back, which is kind of a, I think, a a similar sentiment to a lot of folks. And it was just really a personal thing. I didn't realize that it could be a career or I didn't know it was like a actual industry at the time. I was just taking a few classes, just trying to move my body again. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, once I kind of learned what the world was about and kind of saw a path to figuring out like what I wanted to be in terms of my part in the industry I was like the bug kind of bit me as I think it does for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and it was this great melting pot of a lot of things I think I've always been drawn to that I've been naturally good at and it was a great platform for me to finally kind of express a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. So when you started taking classes in August of 2018 you also created kittening as an aid in your burlesque education so how did Mm. this learning process alter your preconceived idea of burlesque being just glamorous stripping? 
Uh, yeah. Uh, first of all, I love your research. I appreciate that so much. And then secondly, I think that... Uh, <laughs> Can I just yeah. say, like, that means a lot, actually, like, coming from somebody with an actual journalistic background. Oh, uh, well, I, yeah, thanks. I, I really appreciate that. And I, and I figured you... I mean, just, I do listen to your podcast. I instantly know that you do, you do study the people you invite to your show. Anyway, I'll answer your question now. So mm-hmm. to answer your question... I, I'm a Capricorn, so I'm, I, I love rite of passage, and I love doing things traditionally. Mm-hmm. I mean, I and I love doing things. I think, quote unquote, unquote, the right way. Mm-hmm. And I realized, okay, you know, I I'm new here. I want to stay humble. I want to stay curious. What are, what do new people do here? And kittening was the first thing that I learned of doing. You know, it's like you want to be a part of. You want to be helpful. You want to learn from people who are doing what you want to do. And do your part and that was kittening and for me I thought it was very glamorous I didn't think it was I mean I was sweating it was work <laughs> you know I never you know I got paid maybe sometimes um, but again at in the beginning and I was just happy to be there like mm-hmm. many of us are and um, for me I, I I loved kind of being able to have access to the stage but not being responsible for any performance <laughs> mm-hmm. you know like to be seen but and people like see me on there but not know who I was I, I kind of that was a great entry point for me and so I definitely encourage kittening for anyone who's new I think it's um, an important role and I hope I'll I'll be open to doing it at any point in my career because I don't think it's above anybody to to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think there's something beautiful about well, I started from the bottom, now we're here, right? Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, I just I really believe in that process a lot. I know that the burlesque industry people come into it in all different kind of avenues at this point, you know, mm-hmm. um, and at different points in their professional career as a performer and. You know, I, I don't judge anyone who doesn't go through that route. That was just kind of like my route. Yeah. And I know the importance of it. And so it keeps the heart humble. And it's also it makes you feel a part of like the production of it all. Like you're, mm-hmm. I think burlesque is such an individualistic business. You know, we're mm-hmm. our, like they say, we're our own performer, manager, promoter, all that. Mm-hmm. And it's it's nice to just when you're part of crew that you get that sense of community and production. I think that's an important part to have. Um, as a burlesque artist, you know, when it's so solo sometimes. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, yeah. So, Bessie Snow, born mm-hmm. in Sapporo, Japan, to a Japanese mother and a black father. Uh-huh. So, how yes. is your burlesque stage name a celebration of your family heritage? Yeah, great question. Um, so, Bessie is the name of my paternal grandmother's name, so my dad's mom whom I actually never met because she died while my father was quite young. Mm-hmm. And but she was a, a singer in Louisiana, like mm-hmm. she sang in jazz clubs. And we have this old footage of her. I think she was in a film. It's the only footage or real image I have of her. And she just has a hairstyle like they do in like the 50s. And she's just so glamorous. And she was a sh- stage girl, show girl. Mm-hmm. Um, so Bessie is in honor of her for the performance her that couldn't be because she died so young. And Snow is an ode to my maternal grandmother, mm-hmm. who I grew up knowing, and I'm very close to and she gave me the middle name Yuki, which means snow mm-hmm. in Japanese. So Bessie Snow. So it's really an ode to my grandmother's and in honor of both sides of my heritage. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love those kinds of stories behind 
chosen names. stage names. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. It yes. wasn't just like kind of poured into a, you know, some kind of meme generator and there you go. Da-da-da. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes though, sometimes I wonder, like, you know, I you know, I know some people will change their name and their careers, which mm. I think is such an amazing task to go through. I'm so serious sometimes, even though I am a I think a playful performer, I think as a real person I'm very mm-hmm. serious and I'm like everything has to have meaning um but uh sometimes I wish I was like I don't know dinkleberry doodah I don't know just something <laughs> that's just a little lighter I guess but yeah it definitely informs how I perform my name so I am grateful for that amazing who are yeah. some of the artists who have inspired you on your bullish journey thus far Oh my goodness, what a great question and a complicated one at that. Mm. (laughs) I think the people who inspired me when I first started off, started burlesque, I mean, I think the list has changed just from the past year that's happened because Mm -hmm. I think I can't separate the performer from the person anymore, even though I try to still. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think from the beginning, I've always kind of preached or felt it was important for me as a person to be the same person I'm on stage as I am off stage, Mm -hmm. you know, and just like having that consistency. But just to keep it simple in terms of like artistically, gosh, there's so many folks like the first person that kind of comes to mind right now is like Ginger Valentine. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think she's such I think she is a wholesome, wholesome person. And she is a great performer. She's a great teacher. She's a good person all around, just gives so much to like the people around her. And, and, and her career, I think, is inspiring. And I think she has a really great balance. Mm-hmm. Um, another person is Redbone. I think that mm-hmm. um, she is, just has a magnetism that I definitely study as a newbie. Mm-hmm. Um, I study her magnet- magnetism on stage who else is I mean there are so many who I'm just so enamored by Um, and then someone who's not like really on the radar but I know personally Mm -hmm. her name is Sophie Rose Bizou and she is a a good friend of mine who makes actually a lot of my costumes Mm -hmm. and she is just an incredible costume engineer and artist and locally just completely revered in the Bay Area for her contributions to the art form so yeah I think of those people Cool. Yeah. I think that's interesting, though, your comment that you started that out with. Is it one of those cases where because of last year and the um, sort of pause on the entertainment industry, Mm -hmm. we got to know a lot of everybody's offstage personas? Was Mm -hmm. it a case a little bit for you of sometimes you shouldn't meet your heroes? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, 100 percent, 100 percent. And that's heartbreaking, right? And yeah. um, and, and I and I do this the thing though, it's a balance of honoring the talent, right? Because mm-hmm. I will never bash anyone's talent that they have. But for me personally, I think it's hard to promote anyone's name mm-hmm. with how I feel, you know, with the past year, unless I really believe in them all around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's kind of where I'm at with that. Yeah. Cool. So according to Burlesque history, right? Burlesque came Mm -hmm. to America around the early 1900s and then experienced Mm -hmm. its revival in the 1990s with icons Mm -hmm. like Dodi Martini, Dita Von Teese Mm -hmm. and Paul Noir to name a few emerging basically have been at the helm of the resurgence Mm -hmm. of burlesque. Mm -hmm. So as a 2019 
ultimate reveal winner at Nudie Newbies. <laughs> what relevance mm-hmm. does the art form hold today in its continued appeal for both artists and audience members, hmm. in your opinion? Yeah, it's a hard question. I think burlesque has become so expansive in what it is for pe- people, what it means for people. I think there's the there's the industry and there's the art form. And I would say there's even the therapy of burlesque, mm-hmm. you know, and um, I think it's hard for people to compartmentalize the three. Sometimes a the therapy for the people isn't the industry for the people. And what I mean by that is that I think that we have this um, amazing history of people who have like been pioneers in reviving the art form back. Again, the question is always, you know, who are we forgetting in that conversation? Who were other pioneers that we don't even know of because A, they didn't have the platform or mm-hmm. they don't have the coverage or mm-hmm. the notoriety that we give to people in this industry. And then as someone who is still new in the scene, I think, again, similar to the last question, I think the burlesque industry, I think the industry is struggling. It came from a lot of burlesque as an art form of like a satire. That generation also really did a lot of cultural appropriation and didn't think Mm -hmm. anything of it. You know, the times have really changed. I think the dialogue around what is burlesque and what is appropriate to have on the stage Mm -hmm. in terms of what it is to be expressed, there's more responsibility as an artist now. Mm-hmm. And I think as a nudie movie winner, which is such a fun title and it's a cute title, like, you know, for and, and I love that Foxy, Petty Treason and Redbone have really created a space for new performers to come and enter into the competition world, you know, um, mm-hmm. to experience that and also to have uh, access to a stage as a new person. I think that me being able to arrive on a stage arrived because of all the people who came before the good, bad and ugly. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. My art form is informed by all the things I've witnessed or have studied that, oh, like I don't want to be a part of or, oh, yes, I do want to be a part of and continue along that. So I honor the history. I honor the legends. And I hope that it informs a better future and a better industry. And that's what I guess I'm interested in being a part of. On that, with your background mm-hmm. in journalism, you embarked mm-hmm. on a project in 2014 where you sent mm-hmm. out, rather, when you sent out an untouched image of yourself to photo editors in about 18 different countries to Photoshop in a study of identity and beauty. So mm-hmm. as a biracial woman who is moving mm-hmm. through the world as a racially ambiguous person, has that had an impact in your burlesque life in any way? A hundred percent, yes. And and I think a lot of my personal exploration as a burlesque artist is exploring my racial ambiguity. You know, I think that that project itself is so funny how I recently was interviewed by PBS for their articulate show. Mm-hmm. And I was able to really have a space to talk about how that project has kind of connected to my work now as a burlesque artist. I think that when we think about the beauty of burlesque, we think about the bodies of burlesque, we think about um, who are the stars of burlesque, you know, for Mm -hmm. the longest time. And even today, it's, you know, white, thin, you know, Eurocentric features, uh, cis, het woman, usually. Mm -hmm. And again, though, as a mixed race person, I think I have a lot of mixed race or racial ambiguity privileges where I'm able to enter into a lot of white spaces, or I'm invited to white spaces, 
and and also because of my heritage and the groups that I am a part of being Japanese, black, queer, mm-hmm. I'm able to enter into a lot of these um, is, I don't know if siloed is the right word, but just these kind of spaces that are specific to certain groups, right? Mm-hmm. So I would say, yeah, my my who I am as a mixed race person has definitely impacted my career. I'm invited to a lot more spaces. I think I'm tokenized in a lot of ways as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I check a lot of boxes for producers. I know that. <laughs> we mm-hmm. have Bessie Snow, we have these boxes checked, you know, and, and that's great. Um, and I also hope that I'm checking the box of fabulous performer as well, you know, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that the body that I'm in completely has in a lot of ways helped my career, but also has created a lot of confusion for folks as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Going back to speaking about when you are a biracial person, I'm speaking this mm-hmm. from myself being what is known in my country as colored, right? Um, mm-hmm. It's basically not first generation. It's like it's multiple generations of mixed race people. And because of like our very traumatizing history, we don't really have a lot of access to finding out exactly where the mix comes from. So there's always, there's a lot of question marks in your family tree is what I'm trying to say. Mm. Obviously, I think when somebody looks at you, they go, okay, you you get the question like, what are you a lot of the time? Mm -hmm. How does X in your repertoire like Zorro and a geisha's paradise. How do you like go about developing these acts with that in mind? You know, do you feel mm-hmm. like you're being culturally appropriate? I mean, in terms of geisha's paradise, it's my culture, exactly. you know. Yeah, and I yeah. think part of to wear a yukata and to wear my hair the way that I do style it, to do the physical mannerisms, it's all mine and it's everything that I know, mm-hmm. you know. And um, it's mine to explore and claim. And I think part of the fun of creating the act and being what I look like and doing that is I, my curiosity was that if people would see me on stage doing that and call me out on it, be like, mm-hmm. you are culturally, op-. I know that was kind of the curiosity for me mm-hmm. when I created that, which, which is great. I think that people need to question cultural acts always because mm-hmm. of racial ambiguity. You never know what people, you know, want to assume, but you also don't want to give people always the benefit of the doubt because what we've learned or what we continue to learn is that people will always take advantage of getting away with something that's not theirs, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah and then in terms of Zorro Zorro you know the the comic book character or the TV character of Zorro I saw Zorro more as like a character and I consulted mm-hmm. like um, other Latin folks about it is this like a character specific to uh, the culture of uh, Latin people and and the folks that I consulted said no Zorro is not a culture Zorro is a character mm-hmm. um, which again there's always room for dialogue around that and kind of the history of what Zorro represents and mm-hmm. you know fighting European Spaniards and all this stuff like that but yeah those two acts specifically I think or Geisha my Geisha's Paradise is the most kind of cultural act I have I think I'm forgetting all my acts right now <laughs> um, but yeah but but Geisha for sure was my first real solo act and mm-hmm. that got into a few festivals and I competed with for nudie newbies and I would say that um, it's a special piece, um, but I don't even know after this year in time I would perform it anymore, to be honest. Really? Um, Why is that? Yeah. 
I, I, I don't have an answer for that question. I mm-hmm. think um, I might want to create something a little different with my with a that has a cultural element to it. But mm-hmm. it might also be I haven't done it in so long and I just don't feel connected to it anymore. But um, mm-hmm. but that's a special piece because the yukata, which is the kimono, the summer kimono I'm wearing, was handmade by my great grandmother. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I'm sure it will revive itself when I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> also something. or not, well, you know, the artist prerogative. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. As I mentioned in my introduction, you've been making mm-hmm. serious moves in the burlesque world in a very short period of time. Starring in mm-hmm. notable showcases like the Hubba Hubba Review and Jeezy's Juke Joint. In mm-hmm. addition to this, you also produced an experience at a cultural center in San Francisco on safety in burlesque. So like, what mm-hmm. advice do you have for burlesque producers in creating a safe space for the audience and its performers? Oh, great question. So that experience, being able to curate a show and also have a dialogue around exploring how to create a safe environment for burlesque artists was really special and something that like, I I still want to revisit in terms of how can I incorporate that education for for just, yeah, producers, anyone in the industry to take seriously. Um, as And I know other folks have curated that dialogue too, but my advice would be, and I and I produced a couple things in partnership with other bigger producers, so I have mm-hmm. a little experience in it. I just wish that producers would come back to a sense of responsibility. Mm-hmm. You know, yes, the show must go on. Yes, at showtime. Yes, let's have some fun and be playful and whatever. But I feel like there's a lack of responsibility for the fact that they're the producer. You're creating the space. You know, you're mm-hmm. hiring these performers. From the general sentiment that I felt from the first production that you mentioned that I've been a part of, not the latter, um, mm-hmm. not Jeezy's, but that and several others, at least locally for me, is a lack of care for their performers when serious things have been brought to their attention. Mm-hmm. And I wonder, and I guess it's the natural instinct for human beings to sometimes to be avoidant or get anxious when, you know, things that you might not want to deal with that come up. But again, I think, again, the responsibility of the producer is like, when you want to be in that role, and curating or creating an experience for folks, there's so much, so much to it. And um, that's why I've told myself if I enter into that realm full time myself, it's like I have to be really ready to deal with people's shit, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. and, 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 and be open and to, and to show up, show up for the difficult things. So my advice would just be for producers to show up for the difficult things and, and to do the things that you may not want to do in the short term because you might lose out on money or whatever or access just for the bigger picture of it all. Um, someone I'll give a shout out to is um, Electrocute. Yeah. Love her. From Minneapolis, she, right? Uh, Minnesota. That's the same place, eh? <laughs> it, yes, it is. It is. It okay. is. It is. No, no, you're completely um, on target. And um, I have a really great experience with her where, you know, in the last year, I took classes at a burlesque school that ended up is no longer anymore, thank God, but was in a, a very created a lot of abu- an abusive environment for a lot of folks over the course of 10 years. Wow. And this teacher actually was in Electrocutes' burlesque festival with me right Mm -hmm. and so um which is not has nothing to do with a lecture or anything like that Mm -hmm. but when i 
finally went public about what had happened and all that, Electra reached out to me and said, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't, you know, she didn't know about this and that in the future, if there's anyone in her production, no matter what show that I have a negative experience, not negative, but a harmful experience with, Mm -hmm. please let her know and she'll do everything she can to uh, make me feel safe and to to do her part in mm-hmm. doing so. That's a very isolated experience, first of all. And the thing is, she had nothing to do with what happened to me with this particular teacher, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. But she, because she is a good person, a responsible producer, and cares, of, not only cares about who she invites into her experiences, but she's, I think, is a gr- smart businesswoman as well. Mm-hmm. She went out of her way to say that. And I think that's the heart I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. And what I would want to be if I was a producer is just like, what are the areas that maybe you have nothing to do with, but you can have a part in, you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, to just create that extra layer of safety. And to know that you're a safe person that someone can come to, to be like, hey, so and so is in the show not trying to make you cut anyone, but can we do something to make sure that I don't have any contact with them? Whatever it is, Mm -hmm, you know? mm -hmm. It's just more of that spirit and that extra layer, especially because burlesque is such a vulnerable art form. We are taking off our clothes. Yes, it's showbiz, it's fun, but there is that element that's just a little extra raw, and I think that's why it's more important for producers to be that much extra careful, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, if you're a producer. So that's my long-winded answer in my example. (laughs) Awesome. No, thank you. Thank you yeah, for sharing that yeah. with us. Currently, you're living the life of a showgirl on the road, traveling and living <laughs> full time in your van with your partner Blix yes. and your two dogs. Yes. Of course, any tips on storing burlesque costumes and fans <laughs> that you've learned during this process? Oh my gosh, that's awesome. Um, yeah, van life, hashtag van life. I am starting to feel that way as showgirl on the road, and that's definitely this late summer and fall is going to be a lot more of that. But tips for that, um, packing cubes have been incredibly helpful, uh-huh. um, which are these things you can order off of Amazon and you can kind of roll things up tightly and actually fits a lot of stuff. So that, and then I'm actually packing up, I'm doing what the funk festival in Seattle in <sighs> August. And I have, yeah, I have this huge pink, fluffy Glinda princess outfit and I'm like mm-hmm. how the hell am I gonna travel with this <laughs> so um I actually just ordered some vacuum storage bags so I'm mm-hmm. gonna put it in there and it's vacuum sealed so it's gonna take out all the air in it and basically pancake the costume mm-hmm. and it'll be easier to store in my limited storage space in my van I just kind of found a nook for everything my partner Blix has been kind enough to let me really just uh what's the word I'm looking for um dominate (laughs) yeah the storage space and let me do whatever I want because I'm more of the fashionista sometimes especially with my burlesque costumes but Mm -hmm. yeah but it's kind of a season by season it's a lot of planning so Mm -hmm. this you know since I've been on the road you know shows just started up again so I just pack stuff for the six months where I was like oh I could you know do cool stuff at with this and it's just like smaller costumes and now that I'm actually going to be traveling with certain acts in mind I've stored those acts at my mom's place and now when I leave my mom's house I'm in a couple weeks up towards north towards the bay area again I am going to be taking those stuff out of my mom's storage and then putting you know and packing them up in those vacuum sealed bags and exchanging some items out but 
Yeah, it depends on the kind of van you have and what you're willing to sacrifice in exchange for your fabulous costumes, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so. So, I mean, there are numerous vlogs on your YouTube channel where folks can see your adventures, but mm-hmm. I haven't yet come across a video of what your routine is when it comes to a show day. So naturally, I have questions, and seeing as that you've got a whole sum of this stuff planned, I'm going to be looking mm. out for that video. I love that. That's a great idea. I think a showgirl on the road, like, day in the life would be fun. I mean, a pretty mundane question is, like, where do you yeah. rehearse? Oh, um, good question. That's something, again, I'm coming, coming up head to head with those questions right now, now that I'm going to be in a few productions mm-hmm. so again it's planning and thankfully I strangely know a lot of people or even the van life community you know I, I'm in the burlesque team I'm in several other communities of people that are just helpful so for example for what the funk festival I'm creating a whole new act that I haven't even started yet mm-hmm. um, that's in August I'm planning my road travels up north in a couple weeks and I'm going to land in Santa Cruz because I have a few friends out there and a good friend of mine, Dasha Cayenne from the Wiley Minxes, mm-hmm. who if you haven't had on this podcast, you should reach out to because she's awesome right. um, and so gorgeous. But uh, she just opened up a studio in Santa Cruz. So I've kind of texted with her and said, I might need to use your studio to rehearse for like a day. And the thing is, I don't really rehearse that's another weird part. And that's okay. why I think it's kind of easy. I, I would say I have a lot of, I, I would say I'm 80% improv usually with my with the first round of my acts. Mm-hmm. So especially with this new act, it's like I have an idea in my head. I know what I kind of want to do. And I just need to s- several times just move in the studio just to make sure I can do them. And then um, I kind of gamble. I'm like, let's see how it happens. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, yeah, in terms of studio space, yeah, I never really – for Zorro maybe that because that's probably my most – thought out act mm-hmm. um i rented out a studio space in oakland when i lived there but no i'll just go to the park i'll move around i'll, th- I'll lay my yoga mat down mm-hmm. if i really need access to a studio i'll find local studios on yelp to see if i can rent one out for an hour or two but yeah i'm kind of cheap in that way so i'll just kind of move in the space i'm in and a lot of my choreography just happens in my brain so mm-hmm. When I have to move, I'll just go outside of the van. And if I'm in a pretty spot, like in front of a lake, what a nice place to do so. I'll get some bruises on my knees from some rocks, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's all part of the show. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's very cool. Seeing as you were talking about like what's coming up with a new act now for your upcoming road trip, like what moves you when you are to, to create a new act? Like, are you informed by a costume first, music, a theme? Like, what is your kind of vibe? Oh, gosh. I'm a very rare breed. I hate rhinestoning. I don't like creating costumes. In my ideal world, someone would just slap something on me and I'll do something with it. You know? <laughs> it's like, I, I, I appreciate beautiful designers. Like, I wish, I, I wish I had that skill. I just don't. But um, I would say... Lately, I want to say, I mean, music is definitely probably the first thing that usually inspires me. I'll hear a song and I'll feel a feeling and I and I was like, okay, I want to create a vibe. I want to create uh, energy. This is the energy exchange I want. I want someone to feel this when they see me perform. Usually the themes are freedom, liberation, curiosity, playfulness, and there's a, those are broad feelings, but it usually stems from that kind of energy. I think I have a very specific 
energy when I'm performing and mm-hmm. it, it's layered between I think sensuality and playfulness and all that but it's really an energy exchange for me so I think I dabble into cosplay a little bit and when it comes to that like I'm like oh that'd be a fun character to cosplay but I would say mostly it's the music that inspires me my father is a musician he's a he's a funk musician I grew up around listening to all kinds of music and that's what gets me moving first mm-hmm. and once I hear the song then I'll contact my my friend Sophie and be like, what do you think of this idea? And she usually makes it tenfold for me and makes it cool and gives and be like, what about this reveal? And we kind of like go back and forth with each other. And she's just, I mean, she's really helped amp my game up through my costuming because of her ideas and, you know, and just in conversation with her about what I come up with. But yeah, like Geisha's Paradise started with a costume, actually, my grandmother's yukata. Mm-hmm. Zoro came from the middle of the night driving after a show, just randomly, Zoro, do this reveal, turn into Elena, you know? I was like, <laughs> okay, let's do it. My One of the last acts that I created, um, I put a spell on you, a classic mm. song, but um, uh, Sophie g- gifted me these um, really cool gl- glove reveals that just kind of whips off of you she gifted me those for my birthday i was like oh, i want to do something with that and it's like it's like a magic trick so Ooh. you know so 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 little things it, it but i'll slap on whatever and give me a song that it feels good to bump and grind to and i'll move you know cool so your yeah. first performance back since the pandemic engulfed the world was actually at your friend's wedding in puerto rico so, like, yeah. how did it feel being back on stage as a police performer? Oh, gosh, not not fabulous. Um, mm. I, <laughs> I, I, I felt very anxious about, like, performances coming back. And, like, um, I felt guilty about not being particularly enthused. But I think that's just maybe last year's trauma speaking or I don't know. But, of course, it felt good. It felt great to sweat. It felt good to see people bemused aghast amazed um disturbed you know all the feelings (laughs) that people have when they see burlesque depending on you know what kind of lens they have and seeing it you know Mm. but i would say in puerto rico i mean what a way to go back into live performances i think to a perform for a non-burlesque audience b because that's the goal right i want Mm -hmm. burlesque to be accessible to uh, people who don't know what burlesque is you know yeah and preaching um, to the choir yeah, exactly. And, and just to be in that space um, of knowing that you might not get the feedback that you expect if you go to a burlesque audience, you know, mm-hmm. and see if you can win them over. I think mm-hmm. that's so fun. And I think that was my experience that most of these people have never seen burlesque. The friends that got married and they used to come, they actually were there when I won Nudie Newbies. They, they supported me a lot in my, you know, when I first started doing burlesque and they love the art form and they appreciate it. But it was so great to see folks who had never seen it and they were just like, whoa, wow, what was that? That was crazy. That's so fun. Do you know of other shows I can go to when I go back home? You know, oh, cool. and and that's and that's the beauty and that's the fun of it. So it felt good. It felt good. And um, yeah, I'm just uh, getting back into the swing of things, doing a drop split after a year of not doing it probably was not the best for my body. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it and I'm okay. Okay. Cool. Yeah. I mean, what was your like relationship with burlesque during the sort of tougher quarantine and lockdown times? I was really uh, multiple things, but I think I was relieved. I got 
disillusioned by the hustle of it mm-hmm. and realized it was really the gift of pause. I think, like you said, I kind of I hit the gas and I just went for it. You know, once I realized like, what is the route to quote unquote, what it means to be a successful burlesque performer? What does that look like? I was kind of delusion to thinking it was like a bunch of festivals, winning competitions, blah, blah, blah. Right. Which is all great and beautiful accomplishments to go through. Right. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I was like, Oh my God, I'm losing money <laughs> or, Oh my God. Like, you know, I, I don't have a good balance in this. And mm-hmm. there are parts of me that I was like, Oh, I don't know if I like that part of me to come out, you know? And I really had to go back into why, why did I begin? What am I looking for? What do I want to create? And that's an ongoing question and answer I'm exploring, but, um, it was a gift and I, I really was appreciative that I got back into the dialogue of burlesque, what mm-hmm. is kind of what you're doing, right? The documentation on who's behind the performer mm-hmm. and why are we doing what we're doing? And I realized, oh, I have a love for that. I think in the beginning of quarantine, I did a little Instagram live interview with several folks mm-hmm. for this little mini thing that I just uh, highlighting queer femme artists um, in the industry and talking to them about what it's been like to shelter, um, sparkle and shelter kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I think that the pause has been really good for me, especially as a newbie, because I think when you're a new artist, you want to be booked. You're so afraid of stepping on people's toes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You are, you know, you want to, you want to be, stay humble, stay curious, stay driven, own your place and all that stuff. But to what point I realize, you know, compromising on my beliefs, compromising on whatever, belittling myself to make someone someone else feel comfortable. All these things that I fundamentally didn't believe in, I was doing just to maybe get booked or something. And Mm -hmm. I was like, why, why? And, And I come from a place of privilege now, I feel, because I had a great year right before the pandemic where I was able to make a lot of friends and connections to the festival circuit. Mm -hmm. And I feel like even though I'm new, people know me and I've, quote unquote, I don't know, not I haven't proven, I don't know if that's the right wording, but uh, I have connections. So if I want to perform, I can perform. Mm -hmm. And And I'm grateful for that. But... With that said, I know that the biggest fear for new folks is that they won't, once they perform, they'll never get an opportunity again. And that I think makes them compromise who they are in a lot of ways. So I just hope for me, what I got out of it this past year has just been like, it really, really forced me to be like, let your values be aligned with the productions you work with, the people you engage with, be professional, but be, you know, be critical of your peers and of the industry to elevate it and don't make people think that like getting paid $20 for a gig is okay, you know, or like whatever certain standards of that. I think there's a lot of dialogue around that happening for different nooks of the industry. And Mm -hmm. it's important. We need to be more transparent. And I think this year has taught me is like transparency is key. Honesty is key. And, um, don't let them scare you to to stay quiet. <laughs> yeah. Don't let them scare you. Yeah. So you mentioned you have the What the Funk Fest is coming up for you. What's mm-hmm. next on Bessie Snow's dance card? Yeah. So What the Funk is up in Seattle. After Seattle, I might do a crazy trip right back down to San Francisco to do uh, Kind of Blue Review, which is uh, Vivian Bodacious's production in San Francisco. It's 
certainly a, a very refined, amazing thing she's creating down there for live blues music and burlesque artists. And that's mm-hmm. at the Great American Music Hall, which I got to perform at before the pandemic as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm doing the Asian Burlesque Festival in New York um, with Calamity Chang. So that was a great, I know that was a great honor. When I got that email, I was like, oh, that's going to be so cool. Yeah, that was a milestone I wanted to hit for sure. Yeah. And speaking of like, you know, my heritage, I think of Asian side, Calamity Ching, Asian Blessed Festival, and then my, and then my black side, GC Juke Joint, you know, those are things (laughs) that I'm like, hell yeah, let's do it. These are my people. And these these are the spaces that I want to amplify and be a part of and, and attach my name to. Ah, that is so exciting. I'm so excited for you. Thank you. So Bessie, where would you like us to follow and support your work? Right now, so the number one thing is my YouTube channel. It's Blicks and Best. That's what we're on on YouTube. It's my van life journey. It's um, one thing that I've been really exploring the past year is how can I happily supplement um, myself financially without and be able to engage with burlesque without it financially draining me. Mm-hmm. And I've always worked like a, uh, my partner supports me, but um, you know, the past year I was working at a nursing home and I've always had like a job for me. Even if it's not burlesque coming, my income coming from burlesque, I just want my income to come creatively. Mm-hmm. And um, it's very hard to create a following on YouTube, but um, it's a very one of the only social platforms that gives you a clear outline on how to monetize and make money off of your work. Yeah. So um, if some people can support my YouTube channel, that'd be great. I'm almost at monetization, so that's awesome. And um, yeah, at Instagram, Madam Bessie Snow or Blix and Bess for my van life journey. If you want to study some of my muggle work, my name is Priscilla Yuki Wilson. If you just Google that, a bunch of stuff will probably pop up. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, just uh, yeah, wherever you'd like to support me or get to know me, I'm kind of all over the place. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Awesome. I'd just like to take this opportunity to say thank you, Bessie Snow, for joining me on yeah. What's the Tease. You have been an absolute treat to sit in conversation with. Thank you so much, Pillow. I think what you're doing is fabulous documentation and um, of utmost quality. So thank you so much for inviting me. Sweet. I got the Bessie Snow stamp of approval. 